Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. Yes, the rules have changed. Good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio on Friday, March 9th, 2012. Episode 239 is being broadcast live from our studio in McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania. Good afternoon. My name is Cliff Slotnick or the Z-Man. Today, my co-host Radio Joe Hughes will be participating remotely from his office at the IQ Training Institute offices in Indian Lake, PA. At the controls is our engineer, Rock CV. Good morning, Cliff. Val Bender. Okay, today's segments include the IEQ Radio trivia question, an interview with our guests, Ashley Easterby and Mickey Lee, and our roundup. Remember, I write and post the blog after each show. Check it out at our website, www.ieqradio.com. Now it's time to thank our marquee sponsors. Net Claims Now, providing insurance billing services for the restoration industry for fire, water, mold, and reconstruction billing. Learn more about them at www.netclaimsnow.com. Indoor Environment Connections the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at Clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X dot com and C-M-M-Online dot com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. To listen to the show live, follow the link on your show invitation or the Go to the Show button from our website. You can stream or download archived shows from our website. The show can also be loaded downloaded from the website and also from iTunes. Don't forget, you can earn ABIHCM points, IICRC, Continuing Education Credits, or ACAC Renewal Credits by emailing Radio Joe and requesting the quiz. Radio Joe's email is joe.use at iaqtraining.com. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the schedule of the training courses you trust at iaqtraining.com. Win a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IAQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live, you can text in your answer. I'm sorry. There were no correct answers to last week's trivia question. The IQ Radio trivia question for Friday, March 9th, 2012, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Check out their new electronic membership category at www.trsca.org. Now for this week's trivia question. 
Name the technology that an Australian named John O'Sullivan and his colleagues stumbled onto in 1992 when he was trying to detect the radio pulse of exploding mini black holes. Let's talk a little bit about our guests. Ashley Easterby has over 33 years of experience as a business owner in Australia. He currently owns the Network Restorers Group, working to better serve the industry worldwide. In 2002, he was instrumental in the formation of the group of like-minded water damage restoration companies into the leading independent restoration network in Australia. He was elected to the role of Queensland State President of the National Upholstery and Carpet Cleaners Association and served on the National Board of the Association. Ashley holds Master Restorer and Master Cleaner certifications from the IICRC, now commonly known as the Clean Trust. Mickey Leah's nearly 30 years' experience in construction and restoration of complex residential, commercial, retail, and industrial structures throughout the United States and internationally. During much of that time, he had technical training responsibilities for both new and veteran restorers. Additionally, he has stayed involved in the industry through the RIA, IICRC, ASHRAE, and other organizations, most recently leading the development of the IICRC CDS, or Commercial Drawing Specialist Certification, as the committee chair. Mickey recently took semi-retirement from Munters Corporation after 21 years and is now providing full-time training, consulting, research, and technical writing services for industry betterment through Mickey Lee and Associates. Val, intro music, please. Jump, jump, jump like a kangaroo And listen to the sound of the didgeridoo Jump, 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 let's do it again Well, good morning. I guess it's morning in Australia. I understand it's probably about, what, five minutes after 3 a.m. or something like that? It is. It is. Okay. Well, uh, thank you for joining us. And I guess my first question for you, Ashley, is do you listen to IAQ Radio on a regular basis? Unfortunately, at 3 a.m. in the morning, I do not. Well, but, you, you but can, I do get on there and listen to your previous episodes. Okay, good, good. All right. Well, my first question is really for you. Can you tell us a little bit about your network, the services that you provide, uh, how far you reach out, and the number of members you have? Um, we're, we're obviously based in Australia uh, and from Brisbane, Australia. Uh, we have probably about 130, 140 companies that work with us. We cover right across Australia um, with a smaller population, but the same area mass as the mainland USA. We certainly have to travel far and wide. Uh, so it's a bit different to, to other things, but uh, generally speaking, we have members all over the country uh, and we all work together for the same reason. Okay. Joe? Yeah, Ashley, how many, what is the population in, in Australia? 25 million at a, at a guess. About 25 million, so we're looking at 300 million, 350, I think, here, and uh, pretty much the same land mass. So that's quite a uh, quite a uh, range to cover. Do you have similar insurance with respect to homeowners insurance as we do here in the states? I would, I would say so. Um, we have, you know, we have interchangeable words like uh, deductible for you means excess over here. So. But we have similar sorts of policies. Um, I think that, that probably the market here being smaller and, and being much more spread out uh, creates a, a you know, distance problem. It's, it's uh, not uncommon to drive five hours between two towns and, the, and there'd be nothing in the middle except a bunch of kangaroos. <laughs> well, and that, that would be a challenge. And then how, do you send technicians? Do they have to stay somewhere in that town to, to get the job done? Is there a hotel in the town? Do there, is there, how do you handle that? Um, yeah, the, the, the towns tend to be spread out, so we have quite a good geographical coverage of people. There's obviously a far lot less towns, so therefore you, know, you can get fairly good coverage. 
Uh, and, and people certainly out in the country are pretty understanding in Australia that it takes a bit of time to get to you and do things. But uh, we have a pretty good coverage, so we can get to most people quite quickly. Can you tell us a little bit about your service model and any unique characteristics of it? It probably our service model, uh, Cliff, is, is um, we're not a franchise. Um, we don't charge any fees up front to people to join us. Uh, but they do agree to uh, certain training criteria. Uh, they agree to uh, certain SLAs, uh, surface level agreements. Um, they agree to a national uh, pricing model that we agree to. Uh, we don't uh, try to take over their business. What we try to do is let them be independent and work with them uh, to try and fill some of their capacity. So... I guess, how would your group differentiate? I know it's not a franchise, but what are some of the other differences between American franchise organizations such as ServiceMaster and Steamatic who have operating down units down under and the way that you operate? Well, we have uh, certainly in Australia, uh, we don't have all the Steamatic franchise, but we have a number of the groups. Uh, we did have up until recently Munters down here, Polygon down here. And we would we would deal with uh, Steamatic, uh, Munters, whoever it might be that's down here. Uh, we don't um, tend to deal with the franchise, uh, the franchise E, as in the head office. Uh, we tend to deal with each each business. So we we get out into the marketplace. We establish you know who's a good one, who's a, who's not so good, who needs work, and we work with the, with uh, the the best of what we can find. And that's probably what's very different to to the Australian model because of geographical spread and everything so far apart. We we get out into the market and we work out in that town, you know, which is best, who's best out there. Unfortunately, the the problem that insurers feed back to us is that, um, you know, the franchise groups or any other kind of groups have issues with the good and the bad, and they work very hard and they encourage us to work hard to sort through who is the good and who is the bad. And uh, in some towns, we work with one group, and in some towns, we might work with the opposite. What types of services does your network provide? We started out in water damage, um, and we started out very specifically in doing uh, domestic water damage. Uh, we have, over time, grown that to add in commercial. Also, we've added in a bit of we do fire restoration. We also took a... a a, a different sort of set a few years ago, and we added in flat glass replacement. Um, so we became the the, the leading, uh, the largest independent glass network in Australia a few years ago. When you're talking about glass, that is in structural, that structural glass buildings as opposed to automobiles, or do you do that as well? We don't touch automobile. It hasn't been something that, we, that we're really interested in. We just do what's known in Australia as the flat glass. So it's houses, buildings, any piece of flat glass other than automobile. I see. Ashley, is, is there any such thing as a mold remediation industry in Australia? There, there, there is. Um, certainly mold is, is an issue. It hasn't been as large an issue in Australia as it, it would appear to have been in America um, because one, uh, the mould uh, wasn't covered by insurance so therefore you didn't have people you know, getting on the bandwagon um, and also you'll find that uh, we just have a different climate. Uh, we don't have as, as many places in Australia where you have the extremes that you have in climate where you know in summer it can be uh, wearing shorts and I think you call them flip-flops uh, we call them thongs, and in winter it's snow. We just don't have the areas that have that much extreme. So I think mould is less prevalent. Um, our building is different. Uh, our envelope, our building envelope is designed very differently. But yes, we do have mould. Uh, is it as big as what maybe it is in the US? No, we have certainly have training courses running out here. We certainly have people who do provide those services, uh, but it's not doesn't get the headlines, does, hasn't, hasn't attracted the media's attention. You know, you've traveled to the United States on multiple uh, occasions and gone to conventions such as RIA, uh, taken a number of training courses here. What are the main differences, you know, from, you know, what can you tell us about the main differences that you see between how property damage claims are handled in the United States 
versus how they're handled in Australia? Um, yeah, Cliff, I've been I've been able to um, uh, travel to many RAA events, and I'm a proud RAA member. Probably not as old as some of the boys that uh, that go, but certainly we've been in RAA for a few years now, and uh, we feel the networking events are very good. Um, and that's been able, enabled me to actually go in and have a look at quite a lot of American businesses. I'm a no threat. I'm from Australia. We're, we're you know, a long way away. So it's amazing uh, how the, the networking within the American companies has been really opened some doors for me and let me go in and have a look at uh, all the different brands over there, looked at DKI businesses, looked at uh, many other franchises, uh, and that's been really good. The difference that I would find is probably related... Uh, most things are the same, but probably related to the attitude between insurers and restoration contractors. Um, it appears in the U.S. that there is quite a, you know, an unsettling um, conflict, so to speak. Uh, in Australia, we we have worked extremely hard to build uh, relationships between the, the, um, the insurers and the restoration industry to the point where a lot of the vendor programs are the preferred way of doing business over here. Uh, I certainly, from my travels to England and uh, Northern Europe, a uh, lot of vendor programs there, same in Canada, moving that way. Um, but I'd say the biggest thing would be the attitude between the insured, uh, the restoration contractor, and the, and the insurer. Uh, it's a lot friendlier, um, and that's led to a lot of very good initiatives. For instance, we get paid very quickly. Uh, I don't know if that means much in America, but it certainly means a lot in Australia. You know, in the, in the United States, we have uh, something called a public adjuster, and what a public adjuster is in the United States or in, in North America is someone who the policy holder hires to represent their interests and you know in doing so helps the policyholder try to collect as much money as possible on that particular claim does public adjuster or does someone representing the policyholders interests uh, exist in Australia no um, thankfully we don't have that, uh, that we don't have public adjusters, maybe a couple, but they're unheard of. Um, the, if you ask the general market, they wouldn't understand what they were. You, if you asked a restoration contractor in Australia what that was, they wouldn't know. Okay. So the answer is no. Um, I think the the relationship between the insurer and the, the policyholder is one of, you know, hey, we expect one day you'll have a claim, and when you have a claim, we need to make it just a good experience for you because we're all about keeping you as a customer and keeping you as a regular customer for a num for as many years as possible. The animosity is just not there. Joe? Yeah, just, I'd, I'd like to ask Mickey a question, bring him in if we could. Mickey, I'm just curious, to, had you, I assume you've done work in Australia before. Did you work uh, when you were with Munters? Did, did you work with the Munters people in Australia? Maybe you could give us a little background for our listeners. Uh, thank you, Joe. Yes. Uh, in 2000, uh, between 2006 and 2008, uh, while with Munters developing global training uh, programs, uh, I came and a couple of other uh, on the team came to uh, Sydney and uh, conducted a week-long uh, training class. And so I am familiar with the uh, work here, visited a number of uh, projects uh, prior to and following uh, the class. So, uh, so yes, I have enjoyed uh, being here and working with people, uh, especially as it relates to uh, moving into commercial uh, markets. And uh, so, uh, yes, I have. What kind of training were you doing? It was project management uh, training, so it was not a technical course where we talk about how to dry out buildings as much as we were really trying to get uh, the, the people within the company uh, to learn how to subcontract services, how to bring resources to bear on a project, uh, how to uh, satisfy the uh, customer's needs and uh, the different uh, materially interested parties, how to understand uh, their agenda and uh, what the unique uh, 
uh, safety issues were on projects and things of that nature. So it was more project management rather than uh, technical drying uh, expertise. Got it. I'm just, Cliff, do you want me to go or you want, do you have another one? Go ahead. I got another question. I, I enjoy talking to uh, old hands at the industry, people that have been around for quite a while. Mickey, I'm curious. Do you see, uh, you do a lot of work in, in larger buildings, I assume. Do you get as many third-party consultants overseeing these projects? Do they have certified industrial hygienists overseeing these types of projects? How does that work in, in the Australia market? Well, in the Australian market, it's not that much different in that there are uh, more third-party, there are quite a few third-party administrators, not administrators, but third-party auditors and uh, clerk of the works, we would call them in the U.S., uh, who would be uh, working for the owner or the insurance company and would be ensuring that the scope of work and uh, that the receipts and invoices and things of that nature are tracked and done properly. So uh, we do uh, see quite a few uh, uh, audit firms that, uh, that come around and are involved. Who writes the scope of work? Uh, Generally, the scope of work is, is uh, if, if we're ta- talking about the commercial market, uh, then the scope of work is going to be written uh, in conjunction with the customer's needs. And uh, so the building would be inspected, uh, determination of what the customer is looking to do, uh, whether it be debris removal, drying, extraction, restoration, cleaning, whatever. Uh, then the scope of work would be uh, produced and, and offered uh, to the customer, and then they would uh, uh, negotiate and sign off from there, and, and the work would be done. I see. So essentially it sounds like the contractor writes the, the scope of work for the most part, whereas sometimes in a um, project here in the U.S., you might have a third-party industrial hygienist or an indoor environmental professional m- more involved, it sounds like, than, than what you have in Australia. But maybe, Ashley, could you comment on that? Do you see many of these third-party people coming in, indoor environmental professionals? Uh, yes, we, we are seeing more. Um, I think you'll find that, um, uh, you know, Mickey's pretty right in what he says, um, but you're seeing more in specialty areas. The consultants are coming in. Um, our, our building laws are much more regulated on a national basis and state basis. Um, and so, therefore, uh, you know, to, to touch, for instance, electrical is a big thing here. You know, we have a different voltage than you, and, and the 240 volt can fry you quite quickly if you touch it. Uh, and, you know, you can't touch an electrical wire in Australia unless you are a qualified technician. Uh, so no restoration contractors would be able to touch anything to do with that unless they actually had on their staff a qualified uh, uh, technician that can do that. I don't know if you know, we had a gentleman on the show maybe a month ago, huh, Cliff, from New Zealand, who's a really well-known certified industrial hygienist from the U.S., uh, Brad Prezant. He now works in New Zealand and lives in New Zealand and um, does some consulting. He's more of a researcher, but he was part of writing the AIHA Green Book, which is the mold, you know, kind of their document on mold uh, investigation and remediation. Cliff? Yeah. Go Ashley, for it. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to jump in. No, that's no problem. Ashley, can you tell our audience what a third-party claims administrator is? And, oh, yeah, can you do that first? Um, I'd say that we probably work as an intermediated model. We sit between the contractors uh, and the insurer. The insurer uh, gives us the work. Um, they expect us to be able to provide them with a, a high-quality uh, team across the country. Uh, they expect that we can uh, have certain standards uh, that are met from training-wise. Uh, they, they expect us to vet those standards. They actually expect us to go out and check this contractor. Does he do? Does he have what he uh, says he has? Does he do what he says he does? Um, let's see his insurance uh, records. Let's see currency certificates. Uh, so we do a lot of work uh, in training, and then of course with the network we spend a lot of time, um, you know, with con- uh, conferences and help upskilling uh, across the country so that we can la- raise the bar uh, to get a, a same level of standard across the country. We use a lot of software internally, um, and all of our contractors, for instance, we don't have facsimile machines. 
Uh, we do everything electronically. Invoices are submitted electronically. So there's absolutely zero paperwork, um, uh, which really helps them from their end add value to their business because there's less administration involved. So that's what, that's what we do um, as an administrator. How do you receive compensation? Uh, who pays you, the insurance company or the contractor or both? We, we receive no money from the contractors whatsoever. Um, we, we receive our remuneration from the insurance company. Okay. We, we've been able to show value to them in what we do uh, and being able to monitor and, and, uh, and show them that over time, uh, with the more volume that they give us, uh, we can help them keep costs under control. Um, likewise, uh, they're not getting, and they're getting a, con a con constant con uh, group of service across the country, which, uh, which gives them a great benefit and, and results in savings for them. Do you, um, you know, for instance, do you charge an insurance company for qualifying a, a contractor? No. We yeah. only charge them uh, when we do a job for them. Gotcha. When you, when you, assi when you assign, or when, when you have an assignment for someone in your network, is there a competitive bidding process or it's who you send out there gets the job? It would depend on a number of things, what the, what the service is and so forth, but generally speaking, uh, it would be due and charge. We have predetermined rates uh, that, that each contractor is, has a service area. We may have multiple people in that service area, so it, that, something might happen there. Uh, it would depend on the size of the job, whether it's a, a job, a commercial job versus a small domestic job. Uh, we found that, that in Australia, the one-stop shop is probably becoming a little bit less. Um, it's not working. The general contractor uh, is struggling. They're taking away things. If you're a builder, you're a builder. If you're a water damage guy, you're a water damage guy. So they're tending to pull it apart. What they, what they used to have together is one-stop shops. Now they're pulling apart again. Joe? I, I was just curious, Ashley. Do you do both the third-party claims administrator and you've got a company that does disaster restoration. Am I accurate in saying that? No, we only act as an administrator. I, I, you know, years ago, I had a business in Australia and I was a contractor. Um, I, I was lucky enough to be able to, to sell out of that and, uh, and we only act as an administrator. So there's a no threat. You know, our, our contractors see us as no threat to them. We're not there to take their business away from them. Therefore, they want to work closely with us because it, it costs them nothing to join us. Yes, they have to submit to auditing and they have to submit to uh, you know, qualifications and they have to do a good job. At the end of the day, if they don't do a good job and they don't get, um, a good, get, provide good customer service, they don't get any work. In return for that, um, we do expect that they work to uh, a standard. Okay. I understand. I, I misunderstood earlier. I knew you had done the, the work, you know, the, the disaster restoration work in the past. Now, um, did you come up with this model for Australia or did you maybe somebody there see something from somewhere else similar like here in the, in the States and then develop that model or can you tell us a little bit about how that came about? Absolutely. Um, you know, many travels to the States uh, by myself and many tours with, with my good friend Pete Consigli um, saw me to see a lot of the market over in America. The franchises aren't as large over here because we just don't have the population. So there's a lot of small businesses and we thought, well, hey, there's all these independent guys out there that really care. They live in the town. They do a good job. They're very passionate about what they do. Um, how can we harness all those resources but not become a franchise where you've got to pay fees and, and so forth? So the trade-off for us was that we, we, we agree to a schedule of rates that they will charge. Uh, we don't have and we don't use some of the uh, estimating software that you guys use in the U.S., um, so we keep our, 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 our concept really simple uh, and we look at total job cost and then we, manage, we look at total job cost and we go, well, contractor A, your total job cost is X and contractor Y, your total job cost is Y uh, and we're monitoring that on a, on a daily basis. The fact that we do everything electronically means from our contractor's end, we're actually saving them some time in their office. We deal with email with them, we deal with SMS uh, or text messaging as you'd call it um, therefore, we don't um, 
we don't have as many we, we take away their overheads and reduce their over, overheads rather than add to their overheads I've got one of and in return for that go ahead sorry in return for that we we, um, we give them work I've got one question before we go to halftime. Um, you're certainly familiar that in the United States, we have some third-party administrators as well. Uh, a couple of the systems would be Code Blue and, and Crawford. How would your system parallel or be different than third-party administrators in the U.S.? Um, ooh. That's a hard question. Uh, both those organisations are very good organisations. Um, it's just different here. It's slightly tweaked. Um, I think uh, the, 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 there's no cost of entry, which is a, is a very different thing. We had in Australia to think about when we set up is, you know, we have a guy in the country, he might be 12 hours from anyone, uh, and he's not going to get a lot of work from us. So us trying to charge him fees uh, is going to mean that we're not going to get him on board. Because uh, he's going to go, you give me, you know, one job a week. That's not much work, and and uh, or a month, or it might. We have some, we have some contractors that we might give one job every couple of months to that are right out in the middle of Australia, and therefore we had to try and do a low cost model to ensure that they could participate. We could harness their resources and harness their expertise uh, at very low cost to them. Gotcha. Uh, and that's why we went down that path. Um, uh, is it better than uh, some of the American? Models, I don't think so. Um, it's it's just different. Um, difference for different sake. Okay. Well, we're going to go to halftime. Please uh, stay with us, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. We have to sell some soap. Thanks to our association sponsors, the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, NADCA, is the leading authority for information on HVAC inspection, cleaning, and restoration. Visit NADCA at www.nadca.com. The Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental contractors for over 20 years.com. And of course, our marquee sponsors. Net Claims Now, providing insurance billing services for the restoration industry for fire, water, mold, and reconstruction billing. Learn more about them at www.netclaimsnow.com Indoor Environment Connections The newspaper for the IAQ industry Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com John Don Products Where restoration and abatement contractors shop Visit them at www.johndon.com Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right, we're back. Well, let's go over to Mickey again. Mickey, there's a rumor that for a 10-year period at Munter's, uh, the company never got sued, collected close to 100% of everything they billed, servicing several dozen hurricane and tropical storms that they mobilized for. Number one, is this rumor true, and what can you tell us about it? Uh, 
Cliff, I, I would have to say that our record was very good. Okay. I'm not sure that we could live up completely to that okay. uh, to that uh, hype. Um, and the ones that uh, I have been involved in uh, since uh, basically 1991, uh, I didn't uh, start doing the quality uh, things and visiting of jobs until 2001. And since 2001, there's been uh, – I am actually not aware of uh, but one project that went legal at all. And, of course, we had our – collection issues where that you get strung out at times but uh i think that we had a pretty good record of uh of successfully collecting and uh keeping things from going legal and also keeping uh the the, the customer very happy can you tell us a little bit about the quality control systems that enabled your teams to you know successfully complete the projects satisfy the customers and and get paid uh, by sharing with our audience some of the lessons learned and the parameters that you measured. Uh, okay, the uh, we have had a quality system since the mid '90s, uh, documented quality system that uh, basically described our processes for determining what the customers' needs were, confirming to them in a in a feedback and communication method to, that that we understand the need and that we can do that. Uh, and then to follow through with proper paperwork and all of that. Uh, but when we come to the uh, catastrophe operations, large-scale catastrophe operations, we implemented some additional things beginning in 2001 with uh, uh, Hurricane uh, Allison, or Tropical Storm Allison, rather, I should say, uh, that came and did a lot of damage in Houston. And so for the first time, I had uh, recommended uh, to the top management that we implement an, a quality control safety slash technical audit team that would go around and visit uh, jobs uh, early on in their setup, uh, middle ways of their setup uh, of their operation, and then before the end of the project to basically sign off that we agreed the scope of work had been uh, performed. And during each one of those visits, we would, uh, in in almost all cases, if if it was possible, we would meet with the cust customer to make sure that communication is going well, that we're addressing the concerns that they have. Um, and uh, those visits were very, very well received, and I think was the primary reason that uh, at the end of the projects, we were not having people who were being hurt and stressed out. Uh, and uh, there was a whole lot of lessons uh, that we've learned that we learned as a result of that. But the but the the results of the visits and what we did was uh, was very very uh, good that first time around, and we actually repeated it almost every year uh, since then. And that was a decision from top management that it was very successful and that we should uh, continue to do that. So we have over the years. Joe. You, you've been involved in a lot of disaster restoration, uh, big disaster restoration situations. I'm wondering, if is, is there any one that kind of stands out in your mind as, as the one that was the most difficult and that you're proudest of actually having you know gotten through and completed the project? Joe, that's a, that's a tough question. I I guess you always go back to the first time that you implemented uh, something new and it worked and it was successful. And so um, there was a lot of uh, – but, but every catastrophe operation, whether it be uh, Tropical Storm Allison, uh, the four hurricanes in Florida in 2004, uh, Katrina, Rita in 2005, uh, Ike in uh, 2008, I believe it was, the Atlanta floods in 2009, and on and on. Uh, every one of those have some uniqueness uh, to them. Sometimes they are very widespread uh, regional uh, issues like Katrina, basically from the Florida panhandle all the way over to southeast uh, 
Texas, uh, but then you have some that are much more uh, localized, like the Atlanta uh, floods, the north north the northwest Atlanta area. So each one of them have their own particular uh, uh, nuances, but in almost all cases, the infrastructure is compromised. Uh, providers and suppliers are very difficult. They have difficulty getting to the, the site, so whether it be a generator uh, vendor or a fuel vendor or uh, anything else. So they each have their, their own uniqueness. But uh, I, I would say I, w- I would go back to uh, Allison, to Houston 2001, as being a kind of a, a touchstone for me that I, that I uh, am particular, uh, particularly uh, pleased with. Uh, but the four Florida hurricanes was probably the most challenging because those four hurricanes crisscrossed the state. And uh, my team of, of three auditors, uh, we were in every part of uh, Florida uh, and uh, Alabama that um, – uh, that was impacted literally on a daily basis. So there would be times we would be in uh, southeast uh, Florida, uh, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and the next day we might be over in the Port Charlotte area, et cetera. So, so that one uh, was probably the most challenging uh, project just because of the massive number of projects that we had uh, and then the uh, logistics of getting around to the different projects. Ashley, do insurance companies give you commercial losses and large losses as well to be handled by your network, or is it strictly domestic losses? We do both, Um, more and more commercial. Uh, We're certainly having more and more events in Australia. Um, We've had quite a lot of wet weather currently right now. As of today, we've got flooding in a number of parts of Australia. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot more, um, a lot less people spread out there, so it's quite spread out. We've got um, probably storms, and we've had a lot of rain in the north. We've got rain down behind Sydney, on south of Sydney. So you're talking, um, you know, 15 to 18 hours drive apart. So, you know, there, there is a lot of work going on currently. Yes, we get commercial losses. Yes, we do a lot of domestic. Um, I think, uh, you know, logistically in Australia, it's a lot different. Um, than, than America, everything is. You have to be so much more self-sufficient. You know, you can't have a, another company do stuff because they just don't exist. So, if you're in the disaster restoration game in Australia, you tend to be a jack of all trades. We would call it. What about large losses? Will they give you, you know, losses that might be, let's say, uh, hundred thousand dollars and above, typically? Uh, our model tends to be that if if it has a if it's a very large loss and it will will have a, a loss adjuster involved, then we we possibly wouldn't get involved in that. Uh, our specialty is is large volumes of jobs, um, and probably at the lower end of the market, um, the really big jobs tend to be project managed on a case by case basis. Okay. Um, if that's better or worse, I'm not sure. No, it, it, I mean, you, you've determined what your knitting is and you stick to it. And I think that, um, you know, you, you've got a successful and, and proven track record. So I think you're doing just fine. Joe. Yes, Mickey, uh, you at Monters, that's a well-known group for dehumidification and uh, both refrigerant and, and desiccant dehumidification. And, um, you know, we've got a lot of disaster restoration contractor listeners and a lot of that equipment sits around until there is obviously some kind of disaster or some type of water damage to go to. What other unique types of uses for that type of equipment can you tell our listeners about that they, they might be able to uh, you know, help keep that equipment out there running a little more? Uh, Joe, you're, I assume you're speaking of non-disaster, non-property damage related, so things other than... Uh, outside of that, uh, of the property damage restoration industry. Yes. Um, and so uh, there's a number of, uh, there are a lot of uses, actually, even prior to drying of buildings, uh, Munchkin and, and some other of the desiccant uh, companies was providing uh, desiccant uh, dehumidification for the, uh, for the marine industry, uh, for uh, various manufacturers who have 
moisture issues during their uh, the manufacturing processes, and in many cases they may only have a moisture issue during the the, the wetter months, April, May, June uh, type thing. So. Uh, uh, some of the uh, manufacturing processes will be pharmaceutical uh, tablet making, uh, candy making, uh, safety glass manufacturing, food processing, and there's a lot of other uh, cosmetics. Uh, so there are many, many uh, manufacturing industries that are that are very moisture uh, sensitive, and so uh, that's one area where we've stayed uh, quite busy. We've linked up with our sister manufacturer in a lot of cases. So as they were selling. Uh, uh, equipment into those uh, uh, manufacturing processes, then we would be uh, providing them a temporary uh, solution uh, to uh, while they're waiting on the equipment to be manufactured. So, a lot of different uh, uh, manufacturers. Uh, also, the blasting and coating uh, operation when uh, ground storage tanks uh, petro in the petrochem market in industry and uh, marine industry barges and ships. When they are coated inside, then they have to go in and do blasting uh, and then priming of the uh, of the metal. So we would do uh, dehumidification control, dew point control, to maintain that white metal blast and allow them to uh, do a uh, what's called a, a single or monolithic. Uh, prime coat, uh, and it would speed up those uh, processes. So, so those are two. Construction drying, of course, is one that's uh, been uh, that that many contractors have been doing. So, a lot of buildings are fast tracked. Time is money, and so once they get the the building in the dry, then. Uh, uh, the uh, concrete, uh, drywall, mud, adhesives, uh, other kinds of coatings can be um, can be uh, sped along so that they can go to the next stages. So that's just a few of them, and, and there and there are de- definitely a lot of others. Ashley, are there any homegrown Australian restoration technologies that you know about? Um, not a lot. A lot of our technology comes in from Europe. Um, you know, we're, we're obviously uh, from English descent over here. We have a lot of uh, ethnics. I think Mickey saw yesterday when we took him out and just got to see the, the types of uh, ethnic community that we have. Um, a lot of uh, chemicals in Australia. There's some quite good chemical companies that develop uh, compounds and so forth. Um, a lot of the drying technology uh, has come in from, uh, from the U.S., uh, a number of the bigger companies uh, are certainly all represented out here. Um, we're not a big manufacturing country. Uh, we've realized that uh, because of our labor costs, uh, it's hard to manufacture here. So a lot of the technologies and restoration is comes in from Europe. We're getting, uh, sorry, from America, and we get uh, some really interesting stuff happening in the heat drying uh, that's coming out of the UK, which is really interesting. Uh, very, very interesting stuff coming in there, and we get that. So we tend to get a bit of the best of both worlds. Really, it comes down to probably like our cars, and we have a lot of European influence in cars because of the price of, of uh, what do you call it, gasoline um, in Australia. So we have the smaller engine cars, a fuel-efficient diesel as well. Um, technology-wise in restoration, um, probably chemicals. Uh, we don't, you know, there's not a lot of chemicals that's imported to Australia uh, as we used to, probably because uh, it's expensive to ship water across a long and across an ocean. Um, so yeah, I'd say chemicals is pretty good locally. Um, and then there's adaptions. People have to adapt here. So a number of the products that come out of the U.S. are adapted by locals to do multiple jobs. Can you tell us some success stories about early adopters in your network? Because although you may have been one of the first Australians to, to come to the United States and network and learn about the technology, you know, I, I know for a fact that you know many of your members also come over and these guys see something and they invest in it and you know ship it over to Australia. Could you give us just a couple of success stories on some of the equipment and technologies that uh, you know, that they've brought over and, and, you know, just the financial advantages of being the early adopter. 
Yeah, I think the um, being a first mover has been very good. A number of people have travelled over, and I'm certainly not the first Australian to come over there and look at the restoration industry, but I've done a lot of work in the last few years. Uh, we bring that technology, um, and our role we see is to, to be aware of these latest technologies. Uh, we run an annual conference, and actually I was thinking about it a minute ago. Cliff, you were at our first conference. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I think it was nine years ago or something. Right, right. Um, and, you know, so we bring people like yourself out. Every year we're usually bringing someone out from the U.S. to share the latest information. Then we encourage the companies to, to look at various things. There's a lot happening in Australia now with contents processing. Uh, we've had, uh, we recently had, last year, had Bob and Tim Jackson out from Total Contents. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing a lot of stuff now with uh, the ultrasonic sonic cleaning process. Um, we're doing a lot. There's a lot starting to happen in the, in just the whole contents processing area. Uh, I think what's uh, developing a lot too is structural drying. Uh, certainly in the in the area of the desiccant drying equipment is is growing a lot in Australia. Uh, we're starting to see companies like Stultz uh, that are now, uh, which are a global company, and they have offices in Australia bringing equipment in. Uh, and so there's a number of people in our industry here that have brought in desiccant machinery, um, that have brought in uh, structural drying, freeze drying, um, to name a few. And, and they've moved quickly by going over to the US, seeing what's going on, uh, having, a, having the guts to have a go uh, and bring it in. And uh, it's, it's expensive to ship things out here. Um, and then we have a fairly high tax uh, arrangement in Australia. It has benefits, but it, it can add a lot of cost when you bring something in. Uh, and they've been first movers, and they've, they've done really well on that. Uh, they found niches and stayed in niches, um, which is real important, I think, in business, not to get into the main, the main area because that's where you can be attacked. So they just try to get into niche markets, and that's been very successful. Joe, any objection to going to uh, Roundup a little early? No, no, I've got one more, but I'll, do okay, it. I'll let- save it for Roundup. Are you sure? Sure. Okay, let's do Roundup, though. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up. Move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw hide. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out, cut him out, ride him in, raw Well, I think that we should have the worldwide watchdog, Pete Consigli. Pete, we have you? Yeah, I'm here, Cliff. Okay. How about you? your first question or comment during Roundup? Well, the, the first thing is uh, I, I, I want to thank Joe. Uh, he, he's like the Google search guy. I was always wondering what happened to Brad Prezant. And now he let me know he's, he's, in, he's in New Zealand. I, I mean, I remember working with Brad when he was involved in uh, all that stuff with the uh, AIHA. He's really a brilliant guy, lived in Seattle. And, and Cliff, I don't know, you may or may not remember this, but back in the, in the 90s when we did stuff with the Merck program in the Science Center of Philadelphia, Sue Smith had run a uh, cleaning symposium and uh, was out in Seattle, and Gene Cole chaired it. And Brad was uh, heavily involved, got a lot of the uh, AIHA people to come. So the roots, you know, between the cleaning, restoration, IEQ, and, you know, that whole community really goes back a long way. So um, I guess Brad now is out there applying the global trade, uh, which, which is a really good thing. Uh, I think the interview really is, uh, is, went terrifically. Uh, you know, Ashley's given a good perspective, um, you know, of, uh, you know, from the, the down under, the Oceania area, and, uh, you know, the, the influence that... Uh, you know, North America's had and how the progress has went there. Of course, you know, Mickey's comments uh, dealing with quality control and those issues is just fantastic. Um, yeah, this may just shock the heck out of your listeners, but to be quite honest with you, I don't really have any questions or much to add. Um, I, I enjoy the fact that um, these guys really got up in the middle of the night, uh, IEQ Radio and going global, you know, in, in the, the, the age we live in. Uh, hopefully, you know, more of that will happen. Uh, uh, you know, covered maybe in the future, uh, the aftermath and the restoration of the, the, the earthquakes in Christchurch in New Zealand, uh, you know, reaching out to, to some of the colleagues in the U.K. and find out what's going on over there in the U. I think would be really just uh, great for the listeners of the program and uh, really just expand the subject matter. So I, that's really all I got. Uh, I mean, if uh, Ashley and Mickey have something they think it would be appropriate for me to comment on and they want me to weigh in, I'll certainly turn it over to them but you know uh, joe and cliff you guys did a really great job and that's about all i can say all right well thank you 
uh, Pete or Ashley or Mickey, do you, is there something you want to ask Pete? Okay. I'll always ask him a question if I need to. Yeah. <laughs> Pete, Pete, you've been to Australia on a few occasions. What do you see as, as the, the differences between our culture? Well, yeah, I think that, you know, the, the way to answer, for me to answer that is to compare Australia to the United Kingdom. And, um, you know, when I did some of my personal world travel and I tied a little bit of business in back in 2002, 2003, I started in the U.K., ended up in Australia, and that, that was kind of the direction I went. And, you know, of course, the, the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, all kind of, you know, are descendants of, uh, you know, we're all the colonies under the U.K. And I think that Canada and, and New Zealand are similar in uh, their relationship, you know, was kind of being decaffeinated Americans or decaffeinated Aussies, if you would. And I think the Aussies and the Americans really just have a lot in common, their entrepreneurial spirit, their outspokenness, their drive for innovation. Now, that's not to say that the Canadians and the Kiwis, you know, don't have all that, too. They're, they're just a little bit more relaxed and a little bit laid back, if you would. And um, our countries, you know, uh, North America, U.S. and Canada and, and New Zealand and Australia, I think, have a similar kind of dynamic relationship as being neighbors in a region. Um, I think that Australia has been able to benefit and expand and grow rapidly, being that fact that you're so far away and you're such a small country, um, because you've been able to learn some of the lessons in the restoration area, not in the cleaning. You really, I think, have a you know a well-defined uh, area in business. But I, I see that really happening pretty quickly, and you've been able to benefit from a lot of the, the lessons that people like yourself and Cliff commented in the interview, others that had pioneered over to North America to, uh, you know, to get some of the technology and just find out what was going on and then brought it back there. So um, I, I think that there's, we have a lot in common, but I think you also have a unique personality, which, uh, which is quite different. And I, I, think that's, you know, I think that's a good thing. It's a good ne networking dynamic for, for members of both industries when we travel to each other's countries. Joe? If I could add one, oh, one sure, small thing, guys. Um, is one of the things that, that we've been really looking at, and I notice it in, in the U.S. too, is, you know, um, the, this crazy industry we're in, you know, we're, we're doing nothing today and tomorrow we've got jobs everywhere. Um, it puts a lot of stress on families and relationships, and and I think there, there probably could be a little bit more done across our industry of uh, protecting that, that family those family values and, 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 you know, we work crazy hours and we have to pack up and leave and go places with very little notice. And certainly in Australia, with the great distances that we have, we've made a, a fairly large effort with our group to, um, to focus on, on those, uh, those values of the family and those values of uh, camaraderie. Um, and, and we see a lot of divorce in this industry. Uh, we see a lot of people that, that really do suffer from relationship issues. So we just like to always say to our, well, our guys here in Australia is to, you know, have a talk to, to others around you and, and share the, the, the how do you get through those kind of issues. Um, so i just like to share with your listeners that um, I don't think we do enough uh, as an industry to, to talk about uh, those issues we have with the demands that this industry puts upon us. That's a pretty profound comment. Absolutely. Joe? That's, yeah, that's uh, scary from an Australian. <laughs> That's a, I'm, I'd like to ask Mickey before we go. We, you know, we've got somebody on with a, a lot of experience in the uh, desiccant drying area, and and I'm curious: are there any uh, notable advancements that you can uh, think of here over the last five or so years that you can tell our listeners about? Uh, Joe, I would say that the, most of the advancements are going to be in the energy efficiency area and. Uh, uh, tweaking uh, the different types of heat processes to regenerate the uh, desiccant wheel, uh, purge systems which uh, help control the humidity and only uses the desiccant when it's needed for uh, to, to, to remove moisture. So there are various control packages put on machines uh, that will allow the bypassing the wheel, which uh, is uh, creates energy savings. Uh, some of the narrower uh, wheel designs and uh, by that, that some companies are using uh, lowers the amount of heat that is required for reactivation. 
Um, and then there's some equipment that uh, runs on multiple fuels that are tri-fuel units, electric, uh, propane, or natural gas. And so uh, those can be used uh, in, you know, where they're available uh, uh, more, uh, more effectively. And I guess the other uh, technology is integrating uh, cooling, refrigerant technology, and desiccant. Uh, technology. So there are units that uh, do that, that use the, the waste heat from the uh, refrigerant technology to actually reactivate uh, the, uh, the desiccant wheels. So that brings out additional uh, efficiency. So uh, energy efficiency and then uh, also just integrated technologies uh, where they can deliver a tighter uh, specification that is actually needed. So in, the, in years past, uh, equipment just kind of ran full tilt, and uh, um, and so I think that that's been a tremendous thing for the uh, for the industry and for for customers. Hey, uh, Cliff. Yes. Uh, I I do. I got one thing. I I think maybe, and I know we're getting close to wrapping the interview up. I think uh, I'd like to ask Mickey if, if he can comment on. Mickey's obviously been involved in the IICRC Clean Trust activities with the CDS program you mentioned. Also now the uh, the reworking of the S five hundred. I know that that process is moving down the road towards, you know, going out for peer review and all. Is there anything, Mickey, that you're able to comment, update the listeners on uh, in regard to all that, that, you know, that, that could be public record that's not, you know, confidential to the committee uh, committee working? Yeah, I think, uh, Pete, I would have to be careful as no, and that's uh, why on the S500, but, but uh, it, it is in its final stages of, of uh, revision, of uh, working on, uh, doing the update, and of course, this is not a full-blown uh, revision of the S500. It's more of an updating of it, and uh, I think that the target is the end of the year. Uh, we should be going out for peer review uh, in the uh, uh, here in the next uh, few months, and uh, so hopefully, it'll be on the streets by the end of the year. All right. Well, thank you for that. This is going to mm-hmm. be what the fourth edition now, I guess. This will yes, be the uh-huh. second ANSI edition, but the fourth edition total. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Okay. Well, good job, Mickey. I appreciate your comments today. Ashley, you thank you. Yeah, Ashley, what I want to do is I want to give you a final opportunity, number one, to uh, comment or ask a question or add anything. And when you're done doing that, please uh, tell our listeners how they can learn more about your organization, give your website, and so on and so forth. Ashley, I don't know. Maybe we sorry. Uh, f- final comment uh, would be that uh, you know, there's a lot of people in the U.S. I've, that I've become friends with, and they've opened their doors to me, and I'm very thankful of that. It's helped us uh, over here in Australia a lot. Uh, we've made I've made some really good friends in in your country, uh, and the Canadians as well. Um, and I think that's been really beneficial to our our model and to my personal development and my and my personal thinking. Um, so that's great. I've made some really good friends over in your country. Um, I think that uh, as the industry evolves, we'll see a lot of change um, and a continuing change. I see there's a lot of change coming out of the Canada at the moment with the way things are being done there because the insurers are driven by, by the ownership uh, of, a, of a European com- com- companies. Uh, so the, the model in America, I think, and likewise in Australia, will change a lot. So I appreciate being able to jump on here today, guys, and uh, I haven't fallen asleep. And I have tried to keep my Australian uh, uh, language simple and clean and not speak too quickly, otherwise I'd confuse you and you wouldn't know what I was saying. <laughs> uh, so thank you, guys. What's your website, Ashley? Um, www.networkrestorers.com. Okay. Um, fairly simple. Good. Okay, Mickey, uh, any final comments? You know, We're going to give you the last word, and, and please tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you. Uh, Thank you, Cliff. Uh, I do not have a website, but uh, you can email me at mickeylee at comcast.net. That's M-I-C-K-E-Y-L-E-E at comcast.net. My office number is 678-513-2485. And uh, I have really appreciated uh, this opportunity to talk a little bit about what's uh, going on with – uh, quality control in the industry. I'm a big believer in it, and uh, I also am very grateful for Ashley's work in allowing me to come down and uh, begin to 
uh, help the guys here understand uh, commercial uh, drying and uh, larger projects. So that's, uh, that's what I have. Okay. Well, before we leave, we want to thank today's guests, Ashley Easterby, Mickey Lee, my co-host, Radio Joe Hughes, our engineer, Val Bender, our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Weil, uh, our guest watchdog, Pete Consigli. But most importantly, we want to thank you, our growing audience of loyal listeners. Please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. Hey, get rhythm. When you get the blues, come on, get a rhythm. When you get the blues, get a rock and roll feeling in your bones, the taps on your toes, and get gone, get a rhythm. When you get the blues, a little shoe shine boy, he never gets low down, but he's got the dirtiest job in town. Bending low at the people's feet on a windy corner of a dirty street. Will I ask him while he shine my shoes? How to keep from getting the blues? He grinned as he raised his little head. He popped his shoe shine rag and then he said, Get a rhythm. When you get the blues, come on, get a rhythm. When you get the blues, a jumpy rhythm makes you feel so fine. It'll shake all your trouble from your worried mind. Get a rhythm. When you get the blues. This has been another IAQ Radio production.